0: Morning, church. How are you today? All right, not too shabby. Uh, Good to see you. We are… Well, let me say first, uh, welcome to those of you who may be new or just joining us for the first time. My name is Darren. We've been in a series here uh, in the book of Proverbs and other sort of wisdom passages called The Proverbial Life. And uh, the idea with the series in the midst of the summer, we've got a couple weeks of that left, but the idea was to look at the fact that all throughout the Bible we see this encouragement to not be satisfied with just simple accumulation of knowledge. You know, that we can learn information, but unless that information is brought to bear in the way we practically live, then we've, we've kind of missed out. The, the point of following Jesus, for instance, is not simply to be able to win Bible trivia contests about Jesus, but rather to live like him. And so each week we've looked at different, uh, different ways that the Proverbs or the wisdom teachings in the Bible encourage us to live lives of effectiveness and lives of wisdom. This morning, uh, my subject is proverbial Peace. And uh, I'll just say as we begin that God has a, uh, he's a great sense of humor, there's a great sense of irony in God because I will tell you that in my preparation this week, uh, this is probably the, like, I, I had less peace this week than I can remember of any week in the whole year. Like this was an incredibly uh, stressful week, I didn't, I didn't handle it super well, like this is a really hard week. So just to give you a little bit of background, um, about a week and a half ago, the dishwasher at our house broke, and then the light over our dining room table started to flicker, and then my wife and I were watching TV one night, and we hear like the sound of water, and we go into the entryway of our house, and there's, there's water pouring out of the ceiling uh, onto our entryway. We had like a new water feature in our house that we didn't even pay for, a little fountain when you come through, uh, but our air conditioner was dumping water, and so the ceiling is kind of peeling away, and water's falling through big hole in the roof, and um, it was just like, you know, we start calling the warranty people, and the and the home insurance, and all this, trying to figure out what we're going to do about all these broken things. The, we have to turn the air conditioner off, and so it's getting hotter and hotter in the house, and uh, the stress level is rising, and then I actually had a commitment this week to go and teach at a camp in Running Springs, which is up in the mountains by Lake Arrowhead, and so on Monday, you know, in the midst of all this other stuff, I was able to look at my wife and be like, good luck with all that. I'll see you later, and go to the mountains. Um, I went to the mountains and at the camp where I was teaching, uh, there was almost no cell reception, which it would have been better if there was no cell reception, but there was like one bar and it sort of faded in and out on the wind, you know how that goes, where you're talking and then it cuts out and comes back, the internet level was very poor, and so in our communication, uh, things just sort of got more and more intense, and so like my wife would call me and she'd be like, I talked to the home warranty company and they said they're not going to cover this and they're not going to pay this and here's the deductible and where are we going to come up with the money for that, but. But the whole time she's saying it, it sounds to me like, I talk to the, and, the, and, the, for the, and I'm like, I can't, I don't, I can't hear you. And so our tension level is increasing. And it's just, it's kind of this crazy juxtaposition because I would be sitting in my room in this little cabin studying Proverbs 3 about the peace of God, right? Oh, the peace of God, right? The paths of peace. And then my wife would call and I'd be like, What? I don't know, I don't know what to do about that. I I literally don't know what we're going to do. And she'd go, the people came over to look at the air conditioner and they put a big scratch on the stairs, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what to say, you know, and we're cutting out and I'm just getting more and more tense. And then I'd hang up the phone with her and come back to the peace of God, right? (laughs) No, I can't wait to come to church on Sunday and teach everyone else about how to live a life of the peace of God. And then the phone would be like, what? I don't know. I got to get back to peace of God, you know? And uh, so it, it wasn't my finest hour this week, you know what I'm saying? And I illustrate that to say that, that for many of us, I think when it comes to the idea or the concept of peace, um, we, we kind of get the theory, but in practice, even for those of us who've made a living studying the peace of God and teaching it to others, actual, tangible, physical peace can be kind of elusive. And even for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we have these moments of of real anxiety and stress and fear and anger and selfishness and whatever that comes from a lack of peace. And so it's with interest and and with, in some ways, some confession this week to say, we don't all get this all the time. I don't always get this. I understand the theory, but putting it into practice can be very tricky, and yet it's essential. There are so many of us in the world who are living with constant fear and constant anxiety and constant tension that when we come to a a passage like Proverbs chapter 3, 13 through 32, we hear it and we we ache for it, we're hungry for it, but we kind of don't know how to get our arms around it. Now anytime time we talk about peace with regard to the Bible, biblical peace sort of comes in three different, in three, three different characterizations, right? The, the most important, the largest way in which we talk about peace in the Bible is the idea of peace with God. We talk about the peace that we have with God, that we've been reconciled to God through the work of Christ. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But we we talk about peace in in our relationship with God as broken people who've been restored to relationship with him. We also, as Christians, talk about peace from God, the peace that comes from God that helps us in the midst of a broken air conditioner and a leaky ceiling and whatever else, that God can provide us with his peace that actively helps us manage the, the highs and lows of our lives, and then we also see in the Bible that there's a call for God's people to, to not only recognize the peace we have with God, to recognize the peace that comes from God, but then for us to manifest peace like God in our relationship with others. That in our interactions with our coworkers and our neighbors and our spouses and whatever else, that we're bringing to bear, not just this confidence that we have peace with God and that God gives us peace personally, but then we become a conduit for peace in our relationships and in our city and in our jobs and in our homes, right? This passage, I think very beautifully, sort of encompasses all three of those aspects of peace that we see in the Bible at at greater depth. And it not only does that, but it kind of shows the way they stack up on top of each other. So let's just look at it together. I want us first to look at the first uh, first few verses of this section. We're going to look at 13 through 18 and what it says about wisdom and peace. And I want you to, I want you just to think for a second about how this sits with you. And I'll tell you in a second, when I first read it, the way it sat with me. It says this, Proverbs three thirteen and following says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her and those who hold her fast are called blessed. Let me think about that. When I first read it, I acknowledged the fact that you know Solomon here is writing to his descendants and he's articulating his own experience of wisdom, right? We know that God was asked by Solomon, hey, what can I give you? If I could give you anything to help you, what would you want? And rather than asking for an incredible army or lots of money in the bank or great reputational currency with all kinds of people, Solomon said, God, the one thing I need is wisdom with which to govern your people. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I can lead your people well. And God was so pleased with that response that he not only gave Solomon wisdom, but he also gave Solomon everything else as well. He had riches, and he had long life, and he had honor, and, and military might, and all these other things. God added all that to the request that he had made. So on one level, when I read Proverbs 3, 13 through 18, and I hear him talking about the, the value of grabbing hold of wisdom, he's writing to his son, it's very similar to what we've seen in the, the other two chapters in one and two. He personifies wisdom as a woman, Right? We Saw earlier in our study that wisdom stands at the street corner and she calls out, and you have to you have to be attentive to her and you have to seek after her. Here, still in Proverbs 3, wisdom is personified as a woman, and he says, It's good for you to seek after wisdom, because there are great rewards for that, right? Greater gains and greater profit than you find in gold or silver or precious jewels. In fact, you can't desire anything more valuable than wisdom, Solomon says. And then he says about halfway through, in this, in this little section, he says, long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. And I'll tell you, it, it kinda struck me weird. Because in thinking about people I know who've striven to live wise lives, or people who've tried to live effective lives, Christians who've tried to honor God with their thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes, I can give you multiple examples, and I'm sure you can do this yourself, of people who've Tried to live lives of faithfulness to God and yet died in their twenties, who came down with illnesses that were incurable and died. Or we all know of people who, who are in other parts of the world, in other parts of the world, serving Jesus with wisdom and faithfully, but they are by no means rich. They are absolutely impoverished. There are faithful followers of Jesus all over the world who are living in squalor, and so I look at Proverbs 3 and I go, well, aren't those pe- maybe those people just aren't trying to be wise, and I don't think that's true. I think they're trying to be wise, but what we see here in Proverbs 3 is that these things aren't necessarily a guarantee in the American sense. You know what I'm talking about? When we think about long life, or we think about riches, or we think about honor, And we think, oh, well, I'm gonna pursue these things because I wanna have a full bank account, and I want everybody to hear about how great I am, and I wanna live to be 110. And yet, the Christian life doesn't guarantee those things. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew 10, you wanna talk about honor, in Matthew 10, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, hey, all men will hate you because of me. They're gonna beat you openly, they're gonna flog you, they're gonna drag you in front of their magistrates, parents will try and kill their kids, kids will try and kill their parents, they're gonna call you the devil. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, that doesn't sound like honor or riches or long life, to be honest with you, right? So I look at Proverbs 3 and I see what Solomon's saying and I understand his experience, but when I lay that truth over our lives, I see that the reality of following Jesus is not necessarily that you're going to have a full bank account or that everybody's going to admire you. In fact, they might hate you because of Jesus, he says. You might not live to be 110 just because you were pursuing wisdom. So what does this mean? And then, as I step back away from it, as I'm pondering it this week, I realize that all of the teaching about wisdom in the Old Testament, all of the times when we're taught about wisdom, there's there's both a practical truth, but there's always a much larger sort of macro story that's being told. And wisdom, every time we hear about wisdom, we're understanding that it's always pointing ahead to the very wisdom of God that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate. In fact, we can look at passages like Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, verses one and following say, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen, my face to, seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the wisdom of God. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge made manifest. We could also look at 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses 22 and following. It says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. When I look at Proverbs chapter three, I recognize that in some ways, if we live a life of wisdom, just tangible terrestrial wisdom, that that may prolong our life a little bit, right? Like if you live wisely, there's a good chance you're not gonna drive under the influence of alcohol, and so it's likely you might not wrap your car around a telephone pole, right? So you you live a little bit longer because you've been a little bit wiser. There's possible that if you live with wisdom, you might make a little more money because you make more sound investments and you're wiser in the management of your money and so you you might be a little more enriched, right? We recognize that if you live a life of wisdom, terrestrially speaking, that you might become more popular with your neighbors or more popular with the people that you work with or whatever. So there are ways in which those things are kind of true in an earthly way, but can I tell you the way that all of these things we see in Proverbs 3 become infinitely true and perfectly true? It's when we recognize that wisdom was always meant to be a sign pointing to Jesus, that Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God. So, watch this. If we take the personification of wisdom as a woman in Proverbs 3 and we substitute in the Lord Jesus' name, watch what happens. Blessed is the one who finds Jesus, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from him is better than the gain from silver and his profit better than gold. She's more precious. He's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with him. Long life is in his right hand. We wanna talk about long life. Let's talk about eternal life. Let's talk about resurrection life that does not end, that goes on forever because of the saving work of Christ. We wanna talk about long life being in somebody's hand. It's in nobody's hand more clearly than it's in the hand of Jesus. Long life is in his hand, and in his left hand are riches and honor. Riches and honor, what, what kind of riches? Well, the, the Bible says that we have the opportunity not just to invest in the, uh, the gold and silver which perish away, that are used as asphalt and drywall in heaven, but that we have the opportunity to invest in the glory of God which does not perish and is eternal. You wanna talk about, about riches being in someone's hand. The riches of God's glory are in the hands of Christ, and not only that, In in his right hand is long life, in his left hand are riches and honor. There is no greater honor than being called a son or a daughter of God, that he adopts us. Long life is in his hand, in his left hand are riches and honor. His ways are ways of pleasantness, and his paths are paths of peace. He's called the prince of peace, right? There is no one who brings greater peace between God and man. There is no other way to peace but through Christ. He is a tree of life to those who lay hold of him, and those who hold him fast are called blessed. I think about Acts chapter three, verse six, where Peter meets the the man who's been lame since birth. He's begging for money, right, at the beautiful gate. You might know that story. And Peter says this to him, in Acts chapter three, verse six, Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter goes, I don't have any cash in my pockets, and I know that's what you're asking for, but I have something better than silver and gold. I have the Lord Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter one, out of Peter's own mouth, he says in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You wanna talk about long life. It's in the hands of Jesus. It says in verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's talk about riches and wealth. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what kind of investments you've made, those things can all go away, right? The kingdom of God is is not about storing up for yourselves treasures that the thief can break in and steal or, or that robbers can come and take or that can burn to the ground. It's about the glory of God, right? an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's the riches. Verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The writer in Proverbs says it's advisable for us to live with wisdom because we have the opportunity to have peace with God. This peace with God that Jesus in his saving work reconciles us. We were broken and lost in our sin, separated from God. Our relationship with him rendered asunder, and yet Jesus comes and reconciles us to God through his death on the cross and his resurrection, his shed blood on our behalf. I want to talk about real peace, the big overarching picture of peace that we want to have is the picture of the peace that we have with God. In the Old Testament, the word that's used for peace is the word shalom. And it's not peace like the cessation from conflict, or peace like laying on a beach and putting your feet up on the the stool. It's not just you being restful. The idea of peace in the Old Testament is a sense of comprehensive wholeness and well-being. That in the work of Christ, we become whole again. That we truly become well. We have peace with God. And we want to hunt after it. Blessing and happiness, long life, eternal life, wealth, honor, beauty, peace, all of those things come through him. Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the angels say in Luke chapter two when they announce the arrival of the birth of Christ? They sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Because of the work of Christ, we have peace with God. And it's from that understanding, from that understanding the true wisdom is Christ, and our pursuit of Christ brings peace. Then we also understand that from our peace with God, we have access to peace from God. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter three and look at what it says next. Look at verse verse 19. It says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. The writer goes on to say, we have this, we have this peace that comes from God and then I want you to see something else. Look, look at God's power. He says, God, by his wisdom, founded the earth, and in his understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, the clouds dropped down the dew. Can I tell you this morning that if you came in here with anxiety, or if you came in here with frustration, or anger, or stress, if you've had a hard time sleeping, if you're in the midst of conflict with other people, if you're, if you're lacking peace, can I tell you that in almost every case, the, the cause is one of two things for human beings. The cause of all of our stress, the cause of all of our anxiety, the cause of all of our bickering and all of our fighting is one of two things. The first one is that you and I as created beings have limited knowledge, and I've talked about this before, but we don't know everything, right? There's all kinds of things we don't know. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. I don't know what's gonna happen with the big hole in my entryway in the ceiling, right? I don't know. I don't know how much I'm gonna have to pay for it. I don't know when it's gonna get fixed. I don't know if it's not just gonna have water pour through it again in a couple of days, right? There's all kinds of things I don't know, and there's all kinds of things you don't know, and that lack of knowledge is a source of tension for us. It robs our peace because we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You don't know what's gonna happen with the doctor's diagnosis. You don't know what's gonna happen with your marriage. You don't know what's gonna happen with your job. There's all kinds of things that we don't know, and that lack of knowledge makes us tense. The other source of our frustration, and anxiety, and anger, and fear is a lack of power, The things I do know, I can't necessarily change. You know what I'm talking about? That the things I'm aware of, I know know that my mom, for instance, is sick in Arizona, but just knowing that she's sick doesn't mean that I can fix that. I'm powerless to do anything about her illness, right? And my lack of knowledge, coupled with my lack of power, leave me feeling stressed out many times. Think about your life this morning. And think about how clearly we become frustrated and anxious. We lack peace because we don't know everything and what we do know, we don't have the power to change. We are limited as created beings in our knowledge and our power, but what's the writer writer of Proverbs trying to say to us? Solomon's saying, quit looking at yourself. If you look at yourself, you're gonna be stressed out, right? If you're doing that navel stare where you're looking inward and you're evaluating yourself, you're gonna be stressful, why? Because you don't know everything. And the longer you look at yourself, the more aware you'll become of that, right? The longer my wife and I continued in the phone conversations from from Fullerton to Running Springs, the more aware I became of my lack of knowledge and power. And the more that fed my, my angst, right? Discord between us. The writer here is saying, take your eyes off of yourself. It's like he's grabbing our chin and he's refocusing our eyes on God. God, by his wisdom, by his knowledge, by his understanding, built the whole world. In some ways, what he's saying is that God's wisdom is the operating system that runs the hardware of our world. That his wisdom is the software that runs the hardware, right, that that is the foundational base for everything we know. And so when we align ourselves with God's wisdom, our lives begin to function with peace because that's the way the world was founded. God, unlike us, has all the knowledge and all the power. Whatever it is in your life that you don't know, he knows. And whatever it is in your life that you can't control, he has the power over. And so what the writer here in Proverbs is saying is that we have this peace with God that then can transition us into a peace from God when we realize that our limitations do not limit God. That he has all the knowledge and power we don't have, so we look to him. He's the source of all things. He's the one who founded them all. Look at what happens when we keep our eyes on him. When we keep our eyes on wisdom and discretion, or, or sound doing, verse 22 says, there'll be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. The idea there is that when you keep your eyes on Jesus, wisdom becomes life and beauty. It says in verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Safety and stability, not because of your power, not because of your knowledge, but because of God's knowledge and power. Look at verse 23, you'll walk on your way securely, your foot will not stumble. Verse 24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. That sounds good, doesn't it? Some of you are enjoying that right now while I'm teaching. (laughs) The sweet, sweet sleep of God's peace, right? come into church and just go down, you know? No, how great does it sound to not wake up every 15 minutes with anxiety and stress? How great does it sound to be able to rest? Where does that come from? It doesn't come from you having all the knowledge or you having all the power, but from your trust in the one who does. He says, my son, don't take your eyes off of this. Don't take your eyes off of wisdom. Where is that? That's in Christ. Don't take your eyes off discernment and discretion. Then what happens? We have this peace." from God, Psalm 146 says this, Psalm 146 verse three says, "'Put not your trust in princes in a son of man "'in whom there is no salvation. "'When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, "'and on that very day his plans perish. "'But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, "'whose hope is in the Lord his God, "'who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, "'who keeps faith forever, who executes justice "'for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry.'" Job chapter 31 verse 24 says, If I've made gold my trust, or called fine gold my confidence, if I've rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, if I've looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter four about his first court appearance, right? Talking about his first court appearance, 2 Timothy 4, 16, he says, at my first defense, nobody came to stand by me, but all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. How was Paul delivered in 2 2 Timothy chapter four? Not by his own knowledge, not by his own wisdom, but by the power and presence of God. Nobody came to stand with me, he says, but God was there. God was there. I love the fact that in uh, John 14, Jesus says, I'm giving my peace to you but it's not peace like the world gives, and that's important because the peace of the world, the world says to us, hey, you wanna have peace? Get more gold, get more silver, listen to the wisdom of princes, listen to the plans and devices of the latest self-help guru or the latest you know, popular book. And the writer of Job will say, if I put my defense or, or my confidence in gold and silver, if I put my confidence in, in the stars and the moon, then I'm just going to be disappointed because those things fail. The psalmist says, if I put my trust in the plans of princes, when they die, their plans go away. Now, i got to have something more secure than that. i got to have something more secure than gold and silver. i got to have something more secure than the plans, the knowledge, and the power of man. And so we find this peace from God comes when we recognize that he has all the power and he has all the knowledge and he has good purposes for us. When my my parents used to leave me at home when I was a kid, like seventh grade, uh, I'd stay home by myself. And I'll tell you, I was like like a... scaredy cat, this is kind of embarrassing, but my parents would leave me by myself and I was so scared of being murdered in my house that I would go, I'd start at the back of the house and I'd look in my mom's closet, you know, and I'd make sure there was no killers in there and then I'd turn off the light and close the door and then I'd kinda back out into her room and I'd look for killers, again, under the bed, in the cupboards, whatever, and then turn off the light and close the door and then I'd back out a little bit more, check the bathrooms, I'd work my way through the whole house until I got to the very front room and I'd turn on all the lights and I'd just kinda hunker down and wait for my mom and dad to come home, right? And worried though that if I heard a door creak or if a door opened or I saw a light come on, that my t- it was my time to go, right? The murderer was coming out to take care of me. And, and I, to be honest with you, um, I still kinda do this when Shannon's not home. I'll be honest, I still get a little freaked out. But what's so weird is that as a kid, same kid, when my parents were home, I wasn't scared at all, right? Same house, same neighborhood, same places for murderers to hide, right? But the presence of my mom and dad brought me peace and safety and security. Now, as a parent, I know that was misplaced because as a dad, if a killer broke into our house, I would totally push my kids at him so I could get away, right? That is, I got four kids. That buys me like 25 minutes, I think. So I can just, here, take these, right, and I can run. No, I wouldn't sacrifice my kids, but the reality is I don't know what to do if a killer breaks into my house, right? Now, my kids might have peace, but their confidence in me is misplaced because I have limited knowledge and lots of limited power, you know what I'm saying? As a child of God, when I put my confidence in the limitless knowledge and power of him who is with me and has good purposes, then I can weather the storms of uh, stupid stuff like a broken air conditioner, but also the storms of illness and also the storms of discord and also the storms of unemployment or, or marital breakdown Right? I can weather the storms, not because I have the knowledge or the power, but because the God who is with me does. Have you ever had a good snow boot? That seems like a weird transition, but I lived in the mountains, I lived in the mountains for a long time, and I realized really quickly that if you buy your snow boots at Walmart, you'll regret it, you know? (laughs) If you, if you try and skimp on a snow boot, you will know it every time you put that snow boot on because when you take that cheap snow boot out into the wet and the cold and the snow, you will be miserable. Your, your feet will be wet and cold and snake bit and whatever else, right? That didn't happen to me, but I'm just saying theoretically, right? Snake bit. But about six months after living at Hume Lake, I said, you know what? I'm gonna save up the money and I'm gonna bite the bullet and I'm gonna buy the expensive, like the good snow boots. And it makes all the difference because somebody else has done the work, somebody else has created this boot, and you slide your foot into this warm, comfy foot home. You know what I mean? It goes into this foot home, and once you've got that boot on, you don't even remember you have a foot, right? It's like it just, you just go wherever you wanna go. You can splash through puddles, you can walk through the snow, you could stand in the stove for hours on it. you can walk through a river, you can do all kinds of things. Badgers are attacking you, uh, all kinds of badger attacks. You don't worry about it, right? Because your your foot is encapsulated in something that is stronger and more protective than your foot itself. There's something really, really important. It's It's a crass illustration, but for those of us who are living this life, we not only have peace with God because of the saving work of Christ, but we have peace from God because he knows it all, because he has the power over it all, and he's good. He's good. He loves you and me. And so we wrap ourselves in the peace from God as well, and then that leads us to, the knowing that we have the peace with God, that then leads to this peace from God, allows us then to become a well, or a reservoir, a conduit, for the peace like God with one another. Out of that rich, well, out of that comfy, warm foothouse, that is the power and knowledge of God and his presence, we then have the ability to distribute peace, the peace like God, the kind, of, the kind of reconciliation that God orchestrates between us and him, we have the opportunity to orchestrate that kind of reconciliation with others. Come back to Proverbs chapter 3 and look at what it says here. Back to Proverbs chapter 3, look at the end of the section we're looking at today. It says this, it says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. This is verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. I love that. There's this long list of things that says, look, if you have the ability to do good for somebody, don't withhold it. Why would we? Why would we ever withhold it? Because we have limited knowledge and power. Because I don't know if I'm gonna need that tomorrow. I can't give you my shoes, I can't give you my jacket, I can't give you my stuff, I can't give you my time, because I might need that. I got shows on my DVR, I've been gone all week, I need to watch those, right? But if I have the peace of God and peace from God, then I can give what I have to other people because God will supply my needs. It says, when somebody asks you for something, don't say, oh, I'll give it to you later, when you have it with you. Why would we ever do that? Because we don't wanna share, because we don't wanna give, because we're nervous of our limited power and our limited knowledge. It says, do not contend with a man for no reason. I wrote unnecessary roughness, right? Wrestling for no reason, when he's done you no harm. Why do we fight, why do we bicker? Because we have our opinions. Because we deserve to be listened to, because we deserve to be respected, because we shouldn't be belittled, because we should be paid, you know, and so we fight with other people. What are we trying to do? We're trying to hold on to what we think we deserve. But you can't hold on to it. You can't make people respect you. You can't make yourself rich. You can't do any of those things. God is the one who provides, and so we have to trust him. Do not contend with a man for no reason. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. The idea there is idolizing the oppressor, that the, the person who looks for unjust gain or who cruelly in his greed and pride pushes other people down. Don't idolize that person. It says the Lord's curse, excuse me, 32, the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. The, de- the word devious there means crooked. The crooked person is an abomination to the Lord, but the one who is righteous or on a straight path is welcomed into the confidences of God. You know what that means? It means the one who's on the straight path, who's pursuing the wisdom of God, the wisdom from God, and wisdom like God with other people, that person, God whispers his secrets to that person. That's literally what that means. That God takes you into his confidence, that he trusts you and that he knows you. How cool is it to be someone who is taken into the confidence of God? Now listen, life's not always gonna be easy. It's not always gonna be sunshine and rainbows. It's not always gonna be health. It's certainly not always gonna be wealth and honor. But for the person who's who's received peace with God through Christ, there is absolutely eternal life. There is absolutely the honor of adoption. There is absolutely the riches of his glory and his purposes in our lives. But in the temporary, you know, things things still can get difficult. I like, just to back up for a second, I like what it says in Proverbs 3, um, verse 25. It says, do not be afraid of sudden terror. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. That's kind of a weird phrase. What's the idea there? Being afraid of being afraid. Don't be anxious about fear. Have you ever had one of those times where you, where you sat up late at night worried about what you should be worried about or worried about being worried? Stressed out about being stressed out? He says, don't be afraid of sudden terror. Why? Because God has all the power and God has all the knowledge. Not only that, he says this, don't be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes the ruin of the wicked. Now, you, you might look at that and go, well, that means when bad people have ruin come on them. But that's not all that means. The idea of the ruin of the wicked that will come, according to verse 25, is that we live in a broken, fallen place. We're surrounded by broken, fallen people, including all of us. And sooner or later, the ruin of the wicked will be made manifest in our fleshly lives towards one another. Don't live in fear of it. Don't be terrified of the, of the ruin that can come because we live in a broken place. Jesus is coming to restore all things. Jesus is granting life to those who put their trust in him. Pursue wisdom, pursue Christ with all you have because it's worth more than riches. It's worth more than gold or silver or jewels. Set your heart on him. Can I say this in closing this morning? If you have, um, if you're in the midst of conflict with somebody else, like right now, if, there, if there's unresolved conflict, if you, maybe, maybe it's even somebody in this room. Maybe there's somebody across the room that you've got a grudge against and you're mad because they talked bad to you or they didn't listen to you or there's some kind of a fight. Can I tell you that whatever kind of human conflict you're in, it ultimately comes back, the source of human conflict is a lack of recognition of the peace from God. When I recognize and get my arms around the peace that comes from God, trusting in his knowledge and power, then it's very easy to live a life of peace like God with other people. But when I, when I miss that peace from God, then peace like God is impossible. And if you're having a problem with that peace from God, if you have a hard time recognizing his peace, his shalom, that sense of wholeness and wellness resting upon you, the likelihood is that you need to turn your face back again and gaze upon the peace with God that you have or can have because of the saving work of Christ. Look there. And that the peace from God will fill your heart. And when the peace from God fills your heart, it'll overflow out of you into the relationships of other people. But when you're in the midst of conflict, just, uh, ju- you know, just, just going to an arbitrator or a counselor or whatever, that, that's not enough. You've, you have to look at where peace comes from so that it can flow out of you into others. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who recognize that You, Lord Jesus, are the wisdom of God. In you are all the wisdom and treasure, the knowledge of God. And so our pursuit is not just living an effective life. We don't just want to be hungry for effective living. We want to be hungry for more of you. And as we gaze upon the peace that you have afforded us with God through your death and resurrection, may we then find confidence and peace from you In our daily circumstances, even though they might be difficult. And then from that recognition and that sense of being filled up with peace from you, may we pour out and overflow into the lives of others a peace that's just like you. May we be reconcilers. May we be peacemakers, as it says in Matthew 5. And may we be your hands and feet in bringing the peace from God to those who might not taste it any other way. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.